Tennis is a sport much beloved around the world and has millions of people betting on it. Our podcast gives an in-depth look into the markets across the game's biggest events with adept insight from our expert guests. Welcome to Advantage Betters. Hello and welcome to the first Advantage Betters podcast of 2022 as we delve into all things the French Open. I'm your host, Charlie Deer. I'm stepping in for James Gregg on this one. And as ever, I'm joined by the seven-time Grand Slam champion, Mats Wielander, who won this tournament on three occasions. How are you doing, Mats? Charlie, I'm forward? doing very well, thank you. Good. How are you looking forward to um, seeing how this all unfolds over the next few weeks? Yeah, it should be good fun. French Open is uh, most probably the favourite tournament to cover as a, well, as a player and also now as a uh, reporter for me. So if we dive into the ATP side of things, it was actually only um, after Djokovic won Rome that he became our outright favourite at 2.4. We obviously spoke last time, I think before Monte Carlo, and so we've had like the Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, and obviously the Rome Masters that came to an end last week. How how have you reflected on the last few tournaments? Because you did say to me last time that the Rome Masters was probably the biggest event that could have well have the biggest impact on who may win here at the French yeah so obviously Novak Djokovic did not look good early on uh, in Monte Carlo where he lost in his first match um, to Davidovic Fokina who's a good player of course but he looked exhausted in the third set and and uh, and then he played well in Madrid uh, even though he lost to Carlos Alcaraz uh, in a really close match. Um, of course, Carlos Alcaraz had just beaten Nadal the day before. He beat Sasha Zverev the day after, so he was playing well. So I think that was a big confidence boost for, for Novak in terms of level. And then now he's proved to himself that he still knows how to win. Uh, and uh, obviously now having a week off before uh, Roland Garros starts is the per- absolute perfect preparation for him. So uh, he is going to be... Uh, Hot to trot for sure. It's tough to say how well he's playing, but he doesn't really need to play well at this moment, nor does he need to play well the first week of the French Open because mm-hmm. it's five sets and he'll get through those matches unless he's got a really weird draw, a weird opponent who, who uh, doesn't fit the mold, so to speak, like a John Isner or some big server. But I don't think it's a problem. So, yeah, he, he's become the favorite immediately as he won Rome to me. Do you do you feel he needed that for himself? It looked like he did that speak um seeing his reaction to winning. Uh, although he's obviously such a, a big character with like a lot of mental strength. Do you think this winning in Rome obviously got he, he, I think he had a final final loss to Rublev, he lost in the semi-finals to obviously say say Alcaraz. Do you think that's the thing even for someone at that level will just give him an extra boost into this tournament? Yeah, I think that I don't necessarily think he needs it for himself, but he needs it because for the locker room, um, because they now realize, uh oh, Novak is kind of back. I think everybody knows that he's not physically back because mm-hmm. he hasn't played enough matches this year. But but uh, when they see him win, then suddenly that that uh, the green light that in, is in the locker room when you leave the room that tells you you have a chance to win that suddenly went to orange. And um, winning French Opens means that you need to win either half of the matches before the match starts or half of each match when you go onto the court because he's obviously playing on, on one of the two biggest courts. 
as a defending champion. So it'll be on Philippe Chatrier, most probably the first couple of rounds. And he's up against guys that most probably have never played there before, certainly haven't won matches there. So yeah, huge for uh, the respect that he gets uh, from the locker room now that they realize, oh, okay, he's, he, he knows how to win again. And that's all, all it's about. I'm going back to that. The stat about, um, about when you mentioned Rome Masters last time we chatted, I, I found a stat that said since 2010, only uh, two winners of the Rome Masters have, have failed to make the final at Roland Garros, which just goes hand in hand with what you were saying. What, what I wanted to ask was, just what do you think make a successful clay court player? Well, it's not notoriously necessarily slow. It's uh, uh, it's notoriously um, unpredictable because of the weather. If you get on the court and it's it's a nice sunny European day with uh, sort of between twenty and twenty five uh, centigrades, uh, we don't have that much humidity, obviously, in in Europe. So then suddenly the clay courts get a little slippery. They get a little faster. The ball skids through it a little bit. Um, and you have to play with a little bit of uh, aggression and be uh, some variation as well. Uh, but then you can also get on the court and, and uh, it's a cold sort of uh day when it drizzles a little bit I mean, because they play through the rain and suddenly it's heavy uh, and slow and the tennis balls pick up some of the clay but Novak Djokovic's strength is that he has a backhand that suits the heavier conditions because he doesn't play with a lot of spin and he can hit through the court while not making any mistakes at all. Um, the forehand is not quite as big a weapon on those days and then suddenly you have a hot sunny day when the balls are flying um, and then suddenly his forehand becomes the weapon because of the, the spin he's able to put on it. So he's got the absolute perfect game in many ways to play on any kind of condition against Nadal, for example, or somebody that spins it a lot. Um, most probably the hotter and the drier conditions are not that perfect for Novak Djokovic, but he goes on the court and he's got weapons for all the, the different conditions that you can run into. And I think that's, that's huge for, uh, for his own confidence. And that's what makes a great Clayport player is to be able to adjust on the fly. So it's not necessarily a, a particular style that you need. It might just be um, a, a player himself is just uh, how, they, how they adjust to the, to the surface. It's how they are willing to adjust to the surface and the conditions and the wind, of course, and also their opponent. The reason why Nadal has won so much is that he's obviously able to adjust. But we've always talked about Nadal having problems when it gets heavy. Uh, and the problems that players have on clay is that it can change from day to day. Uh, and that doesn't really happen on a hard court where the... the this court surface is sterile. Uh, it doesn't really move with temperature changes. The tennis balls will always be affected by temperature changes, but on clay, the actual surface uh, uh, gets affected as well. So, yeah, I think you need to be able to um, play aggressive one day, play a little passive and defensive one day, um, whereas that doesn't really work on a grass court or a hard court where you have to be slightly more aggressive any any uh, condition. So, uh, yeah, that's what it takes. And, and remember, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer would have won four or five French Opens if it wasn't mm. for Rafa and Nadal being around mm. if, if we take it to uh, looking at this year's tournament and, and the competitors in there Stefano Tsitsipas well he won the Monte Carlo but then he lost he lost in the final uh, of the Rome Masters to Djokovic I saw him uh, come out I think after the Monte Carlo saying he could, believes he could uh, get to number two ranking this season do you see this as, as plausible for him and something that is actually achievable 
Well, I think it's safer for someone like Stefan Tsitsipas to aim at a ranking because you're aiming at a ranking. You're not asking or telling people that you think you can win the French Open, for example. So you can get to number two by being consistent. And certainly Stefan Tsitsipas is the most consistent uh, throughout the clay court season, for sure. Um, although he did lose in a, in a ATP 500 tournament again to um, Carlos Alcaraz in Barcelona. But that's after he had won Monte Carlo. So, yeah, Tsitsipas is... is is on his way um, to being one of the two, three favorites at the French Open. I think five sets is going to suit him as well. He's he's uh, pretty experienced these days. Obviously, having had two sets to love up against uh, Novak last year in the finals is is good for your confidence in terms of level. But can you win? Uh, mm-hmm. And in the end, can you win the French Open? Um, is a bit of luck and a lot of self belief. It's not. It ha- doesn't really have anything to do with the level you're playing at. So the level is very high for Stefanos consistently every day. He's most probably not going to go out against someone who's not um, playing very well or um, is playing his best tennis that day. So he's tough to beat for sure uh, Novak Djokovic you would have to say that the two of them are most probably the favorites um, at the French Open to get to a finals and then of course if they do then suddenly um, Novak Djokovic is most probably the favorite there but yeah that sort of goes along with uh, our our odds here Sitsa passes at, at seven right. so I think he's third in favorite behind um, or fourth actually behind Djokovic Nadal and, and Alcaraz Alcaraz is actually favorite for for a long time um, leading up to uh, leading up to this, um, you touched on Nadal earlier. I, I saw a quote when he lost to Shapovalov in Rome, which has obviously uh, hit the headlines this week. Where he goes, "I am not injured. I am living with an injury. My day to day is difficult." And there are obviously some. I think he, I think his Moresmo um, came out and, and said that she's not even sure if he's definitely going to be there um, next week. Do, how, how do you think he has been performing, obviously, with these niggling injuries? And is that something that he can get over to go deep into this tournament? Um, well, again, he's he's telling you what, what's going on, which is, has been going on for a long time with him, that he's, mm. he's always coming back from injury. Um, he's most probably always slightly injured. I think if he shows up in Paris, he's going to be ready to play. Now we don't know if if uh, he's going to be able to to um, to play through whatever injuries that he has. But uh, if he shows up, that means on the first day he's ready to play. And uh, obviously, the goal for him is not necessarily to win the French Open, but his goal is to be able to do his best on that day. And sometimes the injury takes over and he can't finish. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a from a day to day situation for Rafael Nadal for sure. But uh, obviously, uh, his confidence will grow tremendously if he starts winning a couple of matches uh, and feeling okay. Then suddenly, he's a threat. Do you think um, if if it wasn't the French Open coming up next that he would consider it even more to um, to rest up instead of playing? Is it? Do you think the French? I know you said his goal might not be to win it, but do you think because of his history with it, he wants even more to like uh, play from from next week? Well, it's his favorite tournament, obviously. Mm. Um, clay is most probably the surface where he can control his body more than uh, than the jarring uh, hard hard court surfaces. And of course, on a grass court, you have the there's a possibility of slipping and sliding, and you can't really control it. So, clay would be the the surface where I, I would assume he feels the safest. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just more of a matter of 36 years old and. 
Uh, how does it bounce back from potentially a long first or second round? So I think these are, are questions that he doesn't even have the answer to. So I mm. believe him. He wakes up in the morning and then he does what he can to play his best tennis. Uh, and uh, sometimes he's not going to be 100% and sometimes he's going to be 80% and try and get through that day because the following day he might feel a lot better. So, yeah, he's, you know, obviously he's a, he's a big threat, especially in other players' eyes. Moving on to um, one of the other favourites is uh, Carlos Alcaraz. We obviously mentioned him earlier and he's just been, um, th- this season, especially on clay, he's, he's had an absolute breakout season. He's uh, with us. He's, he's at threes to to win the tournament itself, uh, and he he, t- he took a week off last. last I, I don't. He didn't play the Rome Masters, did he? And do you think no. there is like a, a a more sort of feared or fearsome play on the tour than Alcaz right now? Does he see someone that when players come up against him, they they might have even think that they've lost before um, they even step on court? Mm, I don't think so because first of all, he's obviously young. He's playing unbelievable. He won. As one running on different surfaces, uh, which is huge for a 19-year-old, but it is five sets. So three, I mean, three out of five sets. It doesn't mean that he that he's not going to be good in a five-set match, but uh, playing three out of five sets is completely different. Um, you have to get used to it. You got to know yourself. You got to know when to when to push on, when to push hard, uh, and when to let go a little bit. And by letting go, doesn't mean you're not still trying to win, but you might take a few more risks and you want to save your body because it's a long-term project winning the French Open. Of course, you have to win the match that you're involved in and do anything you can, but you also have to uh, consider who you're playing the next day um, or, the, or the two days after. Uh, and you got to save some energy because in the end, it is about going far and winning the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, even Rafa Nadal some days has to let, leave it all on the court to get through the match he's involved in. But uh, if there's any way to control the situation, then uh, the, the more um, seasoned veterans like Novak and, and Rafa, and there's a lot of those guys on tour, uh, they understand that it's about this match, but it's also about the future. So Carlos Alcaraz, I'm assuming he's not going to get tired at 19 years old, but but you still can't. Uh, estimate how how much nerves will play into the situation uh, and uh, it's tough it's not easy to understand how to run a marathon suddenly when you've only run half a marathons uh, mm. for your whole life he has played a few long matches of course in Grand Slam so he knows what it's like to win one or two but to be as fresh as you can be for two weeks in a row uh, takes a little bit of experience and time it is possible that he has this natural instinct even when it comes to playing three out of five sets. that uh, So it's not going to affect him. That is very possible. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible that the locker room, they will hang on to that, um, the hope that he does not understand uh, how to play three out of five set matches, especially two or three in a row. Just um, on his, obviously he had so much momentum uh, winning uh, and, and going so, so deep in tournaments uh, in the last few weeks. Do you think it was right for him to take the week off last week in, in preparation? Or do you reckon that, the, the, the momentum that he gained from there would have, would have benefited him even more. Well, the chances of him going to um, Rome um, after Madrid uh, winning there is uh, going to Rome and then winning it, those chances are very, very, very small. Of course, Rafa Nadal has been doing it uh, for years, but um, it's not, you know, when you're 19, it's not just preparations for the French Open. It's uh, you grow a long-term confidence 
uh, that's going to help you even at Wimbledon. Um, so for, for me, uh, it, it's so individual. I mean, I think that if he could go to Rome and win three or four matches, that would be great for his confidence for the future. Not necessarily good for, for the French Open, but also taking the week off is, is good for the future. So it's such an individual thing. Um, he now spends two weeks without playing any competitive matches and, and not everybody knows how to deal with that for sure. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they, he and his team understand what, uh, what he needs to be at his best. And I'm sure, uh, if you believe in your decision, then it's the right one. Just looking a bit, maybe further down the, uh, the, the, the field at, at players we haven't spoke about. Is there any sort of, uh, outsiders in, in, uh, in a market that you could see going deep into the second week or even yeah, getting, getting semi-finals, quarter-final stages that we, we, haven't, we haven't seen, maybe based on the clay court season so far or, or things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, the Italian Yannick Sinner is extremely dangerous. Um, he, he's been playing pretty well in the clay court season. Someone like Alexander Zverev, we don't talk that much about him um, anymore. Uh, it's very possible with that serve that he has a great serving day and, uh, and uh, he finds his precision on the court when he doesn't get too passive and he plays a, an aggressive style of tennis on that day, uh, then he's also extremely dangerous. Andre Rublev, you mentioned him. Um, he's dangerous in five sets because uh, he's a, uh, an animal when it comes to stamina and attitude. Um, and then there's a lot of guys that uh, that are really dangerous. Uh, maybe not in the match today, but they will take a little bit of energy out of even the best players in the world. Um, Pablo Carreño Busta hasn't had a great click with season, but when it comes to three out of five sets, he's extremely dangerous. So again, there's so many good players these days. So uh, it's it's not that easy. Easy to, to say to mention a name that can necessarily be a dark horse to win the tournament, but there's most probably about 20, 30 guys that on a, any given day can push Novak or Rafa or Stefanos or Carlos Alcaraz to a tough match, and then that tough match will affect them in the next round. I mean, there's so many good players. So uh, can they win it? No, I say there's five or six guys that can potentially win it, maybe even less, but there is certainly a lot more that can cause some long-term damage to um, to any of those favourites that we've mentioned. And another another name that you uh, we haven't quite mentioned yet, but is actually uh, in that pack of the cat. Well, there's Kasper Ruud, Yannick Sinner, Rublev is uh, Dominic Team, and he's someone who's just returned to the tour really after injury. How have you seen his, his comeback? And see, I think clay court being one of his most favoured surfaces as well. Well, it's both yes and no, most probably on the clay courts for Dominic Team. Uh, that's the natural surface that he likes playing on. Uh, but it does take uh, a little bit more patience. It does take uh, uh, determination um, in how you tactically play. And also you have to get ready. You have to be ready to physically be out there for four or five hours. So I don't know if Dominic Team necessarily uh, has uh, any kind of confidence right now that he's able to win matches, but it will help that it's, uh, that it's the French Open that it's three out of five sets. Players that have won majors in the past or have done extremely well, uh, we have an ability to go into the majors and not worry about what happened in the three to four weeks leading up to it because we, we tell ourselves, well, that's two out of three sets. That's different. Now it's three out of five sets. I know how to play these matches. 
Dominic Thiem has made the finals, I believe, at the French Open twice. Mm. Um, and of course, won the US Open a few years back. So um, he knows how to play five sets. The question is, physically, is he, is he willing and ready to be out there and grind it out for that long? And then can he bounce back? But certainly... Um, he, he's going to play a better French Open than he played, for example, in in, uh, in Geneva earlier this week and, and what he's done in the other tournaments. So he's a danger uh, opponent for anyone uh, on, a, on a specific day. Maiten cannot put him in one of the, as one of the favorites to win the tournament. Um, so j- just touching on something you said there, would you, would you say clay court is one of the hardest surfaces to come back from from an injury or from a from a uh, layoff and, and straight into well physically not necessarily physically it'll just like for rafa nadal physically on a clay court if you've grown up on it you can kind of control your slides um there's not that jarring stopping and going like you have on a hard court uh, there is not that grass court uh, potential of slipping and sliding, of course. So physically, I think clay is most probably the easiest one to come back on. Mentally, it's the hardest one because the bounce is not perfect all the time. Um, you have to find uh, your sort of uh, court positioning. You can't be too far back because then you have to run too far. You can't be too close to the baseline and take the ball on the rise all the time because if you don't have the confidence, then suddenly taking balls on the rise, playing very aggressively, um, is uh, is not easy, especially without confidence. So um, th- we always think that clay is uh, is a is a surface that it um, uh, it favors the guy that plays slightly defensive. That was in the 80s and maybe in the 90s. Today, you mm. got to be the one that dictates. You got to be the one that that. Uh, makes the other person run otherwise you're going to be uh you're going to be defending the whole time and then suddenly those clay courts in paris are very very big you have to run very far and you will run out of energy at some point so physically not that hard to come back uh mentally very difficult to find your way uh if you do then um clay is where you can suddenly control most of the rallies because it's slower than the other courts okay um just something I wanted to ask as well. I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, in, in terms of uh, like Swedish players, Swedish competitors, the last male Swedish player to win a Grand Slam was Thomas Johansson in 2002, yep. Australian Open. Um, obviously, a, a, a little while ago now. Do, could you could we see like another Swedish player establish themselves or at least come to the fore and, and, and be in a mix uh, in the next few years or... Well, I mean, we have Mikael Ymer, the younger of the two brothers. Elias is uh, the older older brother. And uh, Mikael Ymer is definitely uh, improving every time I see him. Uh, to take the step and win a Grand Slam for, for uh, not him individually mm-hmm. or personally, but for anyone that's sort of ranked and uh, kind of just inside the top 100 for most of the year, is a long shot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um can he grow and improve his game so much that he's a threat to win majors? Yeah, most probably. He was a great junior and made the finals uh, of Wimbledon as a junior. So um, the, the ability is, is uh, there. Uh, physical strength, maybe not quite there yet, but he's, got, he's getting stronger and he's playing better. So um, it'll be unfair to him to, to say that I believe he can win a Grand Slam uh, in the future, but I certainly believe that he can improve his tennis and, and eventually reach the potential that we uh, believe that he still has inside of him. Okay, okay. And if we um, move over now to, 
to the WTA side of things. The defending champion of the, of the French is Barbara Krychakova. Um, and she's at she's at 13s without with our traders at the moment. Um, just uh, I think it's something that we we spoke about last time, but obviously with the retirement of Ash Barty, and I think we were asking who would take over that mantle. It, it looks very like uh, Iga Swiatek is going to be that person right now. I think it's 28 matches in a row that she's won. I was having a look that I think uh, v- Venus Williams' record is is 35 in the year 2000. She's she's heavy favourite to win with us just like over one. So um, I think the next she's about 1.4. Halep is is at 10. So it's overwhelming favourite. How have you how have you seen her just progression and just taking taking everything in her stride? Yes, yeah, so obviously she won the French Open a couple of years ago. Um, she's playing great from day to day. First round, second round, finals. It doesn't really matter what surface it seems at the moment. Um, so yeah, she's going to be extremely tough to beat. Um, she has enough experience where where she can she can uh, use that day off to sort of forget what happened yesterday, move on, and prepare for the next match. And the big difference. For the women, uh, because obviously they're only playing two out of three sets, so the matches themselves are a similar length to the WTA Tour. But you have that day off where uh, a lot of players on the women's tour and on the men's tour, when they play normal uh, weekly tournaments, two out of three sets, they get on a roll and they have a, let's say they have a big win yesterday. That confidence carries you through for your match today and then you win again and then suddenly you're playing again tomorrow. Uh, at the Grand Slams for women, they have that day off and that day off can be used in uh, uh, favorably by uh, sort of either either remembering what you did yesterday or forgetting what you did yesterday. And uh, for some of the younger women, that day off is not that easy to deal with because obviously mentally the Grand Slams is, um, uh, they feel more pressure, they get more pressure on the outside. So Iga Schwantek is playing great. Uh, I don't see her losing early in the tournament for sure. And with every match, she's going to get more and more confident. And and uh, for sure, clay courts is still her favorite surface. It's where she's the most dangerous. Uh, her game is perfect for clay. So uh, I think it's the consistency that she shows day in and day out uh, in her attitude and obviously in her ball striking itself. But I think it's more the attitude that she seems to be ready to fight every day. doesn't matter who she's playing. So again, the women's on the women's side, two out of three sets. Some of the women play huge tennis these days. They hit the ball really hard. They are starting to serve really well. So you can be unlucky and then lose the first set, break, break down 6-4, and then suddenly, before you know it, you're down a break early in the second set. You haven't even been on the court for an hour. And now suddenly nerves come into play, luck come into play. So it's riskier for women, for sure, to play Grand Slams. But the experience uh, of having played them and played uh, played matches every other day, I think Iga Swantek, she has pretty much everything. Question is, again, can she keep her phone on silent and not listen to uh, what the Polish media and the international media is asking of her, which is be ranked number one in the world and win a Grand Slam tournament? That's not easy to do. Just something you mentioned at the start there, you said the younger players might not know how to deal with a day off. Do you reckon they would prefer to play like just straight through then as opposed to maybe more experienced players who can deal with and, and have that experience of dealing with Grand Slam tournaments and how they all work yeah so most probably 80 percent of the of the season uh is not grand slam tournaments i mean mm-hmm. the grand slams that's four tournaments a year and and a lot of players play 20 tournaments or more even 
So uh, that weekly grind of playing two, three, four matches in a row, that's not happening. So yeah, the younger players, that's what they're used to. They're, they obviously um, haven't played that many Grand Slams. So to take that day off suddenly is, is different. It disturbs the, the rhythm that they have, which is wake up in the morning, warm up for half an hour, and then go and play a match. And then you do the same thing the next day, and suddenly you have a day off. How much do you practice? What do you work on? Um, can you stay in the in the present time and, and work on things? Or are you worried about tomorrow? Or are you thinking about, about what happened yesterday? Maybe you didn't play that well, but you managed to pull it out. So yeah, that's, that's part of, um, that's part of the, the difficulty of playing Grand Slams for younger players, for sure. And of course, on the men's side, it's that three out of five set uh, situation that you don't. So it takes a little bit of time to, to uh, get used to it. Some younger players don't care. They have that uh, Rafa Nadal mindset that every day is a new day. And um, I'm going to work on things today that, uh, that I need to, to improve whatever happened yesterday and uh, whatever is going to happen tomorrow. As I mentioned earlier, the second favourite is Simona Hallett at 10s. At, at I see that she, she's come out and said she refound her love for the game recently. Um, do you think she's a, a serious threat on, on, on this surface and, and uh, to, to actually win, to win the tournament? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's won it before. She won Wimbledon as well. Um, she's made one final of the French, I believe one, maybe even two. Um, so when you hear somebody say that she finally found the joy in playing tennis again, that's, that's very positive. It's great. Um, the worry is that one day you go on the court and suddenly the joy might not be there uh, again. So it's kind of one of those situations where it's day to day. You pray when you wake up in the morning that, uh, man, I hope I, I hope I'm going to enjoy today. I hope I'm going to enjoy the pressure and the nerves that I know I'm going to have. Um, so it's, it's tough to say, but certainly in terms of level, Simona Halep uh, um, will be back at the same level as she needs to be to win majors. But it's that joy, that uh, willingness to, to uh, search for the solution to the problem that you're facing uh, in that present moment that uh, if you've lost the joy of fighting or playing or competing or whatever it is once, there is always that risk that that uh, that one day the joy might not be there uh, at a hundred percent level, and then suddenly you're up against someone that's causing a lot of problems. So you, there's a yeah, there's a there's an if uh, attached to uh, someone like Simona Halep to me. But yeah, um, it's great. I mean, again, I'm looking at Simona Halep as a, a bit of a long term project. Again, uh, she's still young enough to have another three four years on tour, um, and uh, she'll be a threat if she keeps playing and she keeps enjoying it she's going to be a threat in one of the slams coming up soon and, and if we look at the uh the rest of the the market who who is uh who do you think has been impressive or maybe surprised you uh in the in the in the run-up to this event or someone that could really challenge there are you know uh, there are so many and again it's tough to, to pull out names mm. um you know you don't know if arena sabalenka suddenly is going to find her form uh she plays an unbelievably aggressive style of tennis very risky uh but she's always has good attitude and suddenly the confidence comes back so she's dangerous someone like paula badosa um who who was might still be ranked number two in the world she's had a great season as well um she could be a, a threat again. Garbinia Muguruza uh, necessarily hasn't played that great, but but again, she's she's won the French Open before she's won Wimbledon. Um, so some of these players are very very dangerous. Um, there are younger players like Amanda Anisimova, uh, American great ball striker who's fearless for sure. 
she's going to be tough to beat if she has a good day. So uh, there are so many um, players uh, on the women's side. Even if you go down to someone like Madison Keys, an American, maybe the best forehand in the game on the women's side. If she has a good day, she can cause some problems. So it's tough to um, to uh, to guess who's going to be the threat on the women's side. But there are a lot of 17, 18 year olds. Maria Sakari hasn't had a great uh, a click with season she's a threat if she even shows up and plays the French Open so it's really tough the only obvious favorite is Iga Schwantek. Um if you ask me if I think there's a bigger chance of her winning or the field winning I would mm-hmm. say that uh, Iga Schwantek is most probably she has a better chance to win it than the one the other 127 players in the draw another name that I wanted to speak about was was, was Ons Jabeur won the Madrid Open I think she then lost to Sriantec at Rome and she was on a quite a good uh, win record as well uh, I think it was about 11 matches is is that someone as well who's I, I think for me personally I've seen progress from her over the last year she could do you reckon she could she could also be a be an outside contender she's always a threat on Jabeur because she plays completely different from other women she hits, hits a lot of drop shots she plays with a lot of uh, variety she plays with a lot of passion um, she's a little bit up and down uh, because she takes a lot of risks when she plays uh, but uh, it's not someone that anyone necessarily looks forward to playing um, because she's going to disrupt whatever it is that you're trying to do so if you come out and you, you play great you you are most probably going to beat Uns Jabeur, but if you show any sign of weakness, she's she's very good at picking up on weaknesses in her opponent, and she'll exploit that weakness, and then she'll make you move not just left to right, which is what most players are good at, but she'll she'll make you move uh, from south to north as well. Uh, and uh, most players have a weakness in doing that because they just are not used to doing that and they're not used to running for drop shots. So she's most probably going to come out and be the crowd favorite. She usually is because of the style of tennis. So having the crowd with you in Paris is absolutely huge uh, for the players because most players don't expect when that happens. But the French crowd, they're very willing to get behind someone who is entertaining as a player and uh, they won't be a more entertaining player on the women's side than Onzi Chabur. And, and, and lastly, just another name I want to pick up was, was Naomi Osaka. In our market, she's at 20s, so um, just, a, just a little bit of an outsider. But what, what kind of condition do you reckon she'll be coming in at? Because I think she's she had an Achilles injury or something like that to deal with, and um, it's been a bit of a stop-start for her, but obviously she can be a threat if she's, she's feeling fresh. Well, for someone like Naomi Osaka, I think it's a matter of, yeah, physically, if she's 90, 95%, then she's good enough to play nearly at her best. Because she's won four majors, even though they're all on hard court, um, she's a threat to anyone. Uh, The locker room certainly uh, believe that she's a threat. Again, it depends on which Naomi Osaka shows up. Uh, And uh, lately on clay, it hasn't been the best version in terms of... uh, in terms of playing, in terms of uh, believing in herself. But uh, again, she's also a part of that long-term project kind of thing. She's trying to find the joy in playing. Uh, now she's fighting an injury a little bit. So maybe she her confidence is not um, at her best, but but it's a grand slam. And she she understands this this uh, 
situation with a day off and the pressure on and everybody's talking about it and you're on uh, if she starts winning matches then suddenly everybody's going to be talking about her again and she knows how that feels so yeah she's a threat she can beat anyone on any surface at any point I wouldn't maybe put her at uh, having a good chance to win the tournament but um, you know if she has a good day and she runs into someone like Iga Swantek and takes her out and then suddenly there stands uh, she alone uh, as the only one that has won Grand Slams. And now suddenly, the, the, you know, the pressure falls on her shoulders and she knows how to deal with that. So that's what I mean. There's a lot of women there that have won majors that maybe are not playing great, but they are certainly a threat um, on any given day. And she will be one of the biggest threats if she shows up. And just to, just to round off the episode, if we, if we look at maybe an outright winner from you, it seems like Shriantek is, is that in, in the women's side of the draw. And I think for everyone it'll be a huge surprise if she doesn't at least make the final. Um, so we obviously spoke about a few, few in the men's side of the draw, but who, who do you think uh, Djokovic is, uh, is, is value to be the favourite or um, could anyone realistically actually, anyone else realistically actually win the tournament? Well, I think Novak is the big favourite for sure because we know what to expect from him. We know uh, we expect him to be better in three out of five set matches. We expect him to to always come out and great, get great starts in matches because he understands that a lead is really important to have when you're playing five sets. Winning the first set is crucial. Uh, at the same time, he also understands that he can start off a little sluggish and a little slow and and um, it's not good for, for the future, but he can certainly turn matches around because it is three out of five sets. So he's the favorite big time. Um, I think we have to wait and see how Carlos Alcaraz does in the first few rounds, how he looks, how he deals with, with uh, th- those longer matches and that adversity that you face. But uh, yeah, I would say that that's uh, most probably Novak as the big favorite and then I put uh, Alcaraz and Stefanos Tsitsipas and uh, uh, Rafa Nadal if he shows up uh, in the next group of players that can win. Um, on the women's side it's it's tough to put anyone uh, even in group two as favorites after Iga Swantek so I think she's a pretty she's a pretty heavy favorite. I would nearly say that she's most probably a bigger favorite on the women's side than uh, Novak Djokovic is on the men's side. Nice. Thanks, thanks very much, Max. That's where we'll, we'll, we'll leave things for today. And as always, odds are correct as the time of recording. Uh, you can get Max on uh, Instagram, uh, at Max Vlander, and then on pinnacle.com slash betting resources for all the inside track ahead of the tournament with previews from Max himself and data tennis expert Dan Weston. You can find us on Twitter at Pinnacle and pinnacle.betting on Instagram. Take care and enjoy the tennis.